0: Before I begin, some of you are probably familiar with the Disaster Relief Team, Church Christ Disaster Relief Team. Uh, many of you have helped with uh, their mission and served with them. They're down in southern Ohio, uh, southwestern Ohio. Um, and I encourage you, if you're interested in helping uh, with that ministry, to at the very least uh, give me a call to church, uh, or you can look them up online. Uh, Church of Christ Disaster Relief Team. Uh, you probably talked to Greg about, about them. I know he's helped them out. Um, but uh, they're really in need of some help right now. They got a lot of things going on, a lot of, uh, uh, just a lot of people all over the place that need some help. And uh, we've helped them in the past. We continue to help them when we can. And, and, and monetary donation, I, I think, is fine. And that's, that's good. We don't want to stop doing stuff like that. But the big thing with them is is hands, feet, boots on the ground. Uh, they really need some help with that. And so please keep that in mind. If you're curious about who they are uh, and what you can do, honestly, just the easiest way to do it is to give me a call uh, or call the church office tomorrow and, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. How many of you have cats? Do you have cats? I have a cat. Um, have you ever, you ever come home? You know, it's a cold day. You drive home, right? Your car's nice and warm, and everything. You know, you get home. Cats are running around. You know. Um, you leave, you shut your car off. You know. Where, where do the cats like to go? Do you know? Up up in there, right? Lay against the block, you know. Mom and dad are on vacation. Well, I don't know if they're on vacation. They're not here. I, I, they, they go places. Um, I don't know where they are. You might know where they are. I, I don't know. They're running around. Um, and so I, I'm, I've been tapped to go out and take, take care of the animals, and, and, and that's what I've been doing. Uh, this isn 't the first time i 've done this though, and every time i 'm asked to do this, we wonder if this is a good idea uh, you, you can ask her about this she 'd probably tell the story better, but a couple of years ago, uh, my mom had a cat uh, uh, had uh, had a cat that she really liked little kitten you know, and she she nursed this kitten back from the jaws of death, you know and she had this you know, kitten. And she said, why don't you take, take care of this kitten while, while we're away? Because they were away at some other time. I said, okay, I'll come out and take care of the cat, feed the dogs and, you know, the horses and whatever. And so uh, you know, she said, by the way, though, she said she's a little skittish of people, uh, so you might not see her. All right, you might not see her until you leave, then she'll come back in, she'll eat her food. All right, no big deal. So I'm over there in the barn, you know, feeding the cat. I don't see the cat, you know, but hey, she, she's scared of people. So I, you know, I don't think anything of it. And I'm feeding the cat, feeding the cat, feeding the cat. I'm here one day. I'm parked right up the side of the church here, and, and I'm helping with something. I, I think we're we're jumping something, a car, something. And so I pull the truck up, and I pop the hood. Yeah. Yes, Ayla. There's a cat. It's it's been a little while. (laughs) There, you know, it's a cat. And I knew this was a special cat, a black and white cat. And so I put the black and white cat in a box. And I knew they were going to be home in a few days. And I said, hey, look, um, here's what happened. Killed your cat? I mean, that's what happened, right? I just... And I put the box at the house, and I said, "I don't know if you want to do something special with this cat. I know, I know that this is a special cat." And uh, I could hear, you know, just the sadness in my mom's voice on the other end of the line. And uh, she said, "Okay," she said, "We'll take care of the cat when you get home." And uh, so it's it's sitting there on the, on the porch, and. And they get home two days later, two or three days later, I don't know. And uh, they walk inside, and my mom tells dad, she said, could you go out and, and, and take care of the cat, bury the cat? And dad says, no problem, I'll go out and bury the cat. And he walks outside, and, and the cat's sitting there. <laughs> the cat comes up and meowing and purring and wanting food, and there's the cat, black and white cat. And dad walks in he says, he says, you're not going to believe this. Actually, the, the, my st- the story was he walked in and didn't say anything. like just to so you're not going to believe this. The cat's fine. There's nothing wrong with the cat. And they see the box and the box is still closed. And he goes over and he picks up the box and shakes the box. And there's something in the box. It was a different cat. It was just a different cat. I don't know what, who, what that cat was. It was a different cat. I could have picked it up here or the store. I don't know. It was just a di- I went two or three days thinking that this special little kitten, you know, this was it. But I can imagine just the, what, what went through dad's head and mom's head when, when, when they see this, this cat just sitting there perfectly fine. Trying to figure this out because they know that this is not possible. The the cat was dead. The cat ain't coming back to life. Especially not after two or three days. It ain't going to work. You can do anything you want. It was sitting right next to the battery in the truck. I probably should have just taken a couple of cables over, right? They know that this isn't possible. You know that that is not possible, is it? It's not possible that a living being can be dead for three days and come back to life. You're not crazy. I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. We know that that's impossible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, that you are grander and bigger than what we are than what we can think what we can imagine that you're more powerful than anything that we can we can invent in our minds father we thank you also that so many things that seem impossible are possible with you in jesus name amen if you have your swords with you turn to john chapter 2 we're actually going to be really kind of in two places john chapter 2 and Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, John chapter two and Second Corinthians chapter five. but we'll start in John chapter two. We've talked a little bit over the past few weeks about the crazy things in Scripture, the crazy stuff we believe. Um, and, and it's just part of accepting Jesus. It's just part of the Christian walk. We started out again, once again, we started out with embracing the fact that you are called to be, even commanded to be holy. Now, not only is that a wonderful thing, but it's also a command and it's a challenge. To be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. It means be unique. Uh, the, The best way to describe it is sacred. But for our purposes, because it's completely accurate, we could say different. Different. You're called to be different than everything else and everyone else, at least the rest of the world that has rejected Jesus. You're called to be different, and you can accept that then we can begin to accept some of the crazy things of Scripture. If we can't accept that, we have a very hard time accepting the foolishness of the gospel. Remember, that's what Paul calls it, the foolishness, tongue-in-cheek, the foolishness of the gospel. After that, we, we, we listen to Jesus say just one of the craziest things, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And that's when a lot of people, this is what scripture records, a lot of people walked out and said, we're out of here, that's that's too much for us, that's too deep. I don't know what kind of crazy religion you're running here, but we're not going to eat your flesh or drink your blood. Well, if they'd have stuck around a little bit longer and maybe asked some questions, they would have found out that Jesus is talking about himself, his character, his nature, the way he is, the way he sees life, his honor of the Father and his love for others. I mean, all of this stuff, he says, feed upon that. Use that for your very energy. Use that for the thing that gets you up in the morning. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. His disciples are looking for food, and Jesus says, I have food you know nothing about. To do the will of the one who sent me. That's what motivates him, moves him. Gets him up in the morning. Allows him to live this life full of hope, but also full of value and purpose. Eat the flesh, drink the blood. Last week, last week was a little difficult. Last week was, it was a, a bridge a lot of people don't like to cross. And the way Jesus says it is purposefully done for us to ask questions. Unless you hate your mother and father, unless you hate your brother and sister, unless you hate your friends and family, unless you even hate yourself, you can have no part in me. Well, again, if you know anything about Jesus, he doesn't want us actually hating people on this emotional level. He wants us to love people. What's he saying? Love me more. you got to love me more. you got to be dedicated to me. You have to follow me. You have to increase your love for others, but you've got to love me more. I've got to be the focal point of your life, and I think that's where a lot of hopelessness comes from. We don't love Jesus; we don't consume Jesus for our very life, our very purpose, our very being. What do we consume? A lot of things we consume is the uh, acceptance or appreciation of men. Right? I mean, that's that's uh, a lot of times that's what moves us, you know. And if that's going to move us, what's going to break us down? The rejection. Of people, Jesus didn't live that way. He didn't live that way. You know, I accept no praise from man. Jesus said, "You could call him just the greatest thing in the world." He said, "I accept no praise from man." Look, my 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 motivation, what I do, what I live on, where I get my hope, my purpose, my mission, my value, is from the Father. And so, we need to love Jesus even more. Once we start consuming what Jesus is, once we start loving Him more than our very lives, every day stops being something to survive, and rather it's an opportunity to live. There's too many people that go through life, and, and every day is just something they have to survive. They just want to survive. They want to get through today and hopefully get to tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow's going to bring a little bit of happiness. Get rid of that. This is no way to exist. Every day brings an opportunity to truly live with Jesus Christ. And it takes death of self, crucifixion of self, not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, our character. To cross that bridge is an incredible step of faith, and it's one that takes some time to cross, just like every other bridge. But fortunately, crucifixion of self is not where it ends. If that's where it ended, I don't think anybody would give their life to Jesus, Give your life to me, Jesus says. You know, do what I want you to do. Live the way I want you to live. Think the way I want you to think. And when all that's said and done, you're going to die and blink into nothingness. Well, I don't think anybody would take that. Because it's a hard life to live after Jesus Christ. Crucifixion. Death itself is just the beginning. Because followers of Jesus believe in a very, very crazy thing. Resurrection from the dead. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this now. Think about if no one has ever heard this before. Think about about if you're on the outside looking in. This is about the craziest thing you can possibly believe in. Uh, Forget about hate hate your mother and father. Forget about eat my flesh and drink my blood. Resurrection of the dead. How's this for crazy, though? We don't believe in one resurrection. We believe in many resurrections. If we believe the Word of God. Specifically today, I want to talk about three resurrections. Not the three resurrections, but three resurrections. But before that, it's more than the resurrection of Jesus that I believe in. Because I believe the Word of God. There's no such thing as believing in Jesus and not believing the Word of God. Don't fool yourself. Doesn't happen, doesn't exist. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in His Word. What other resurrections do I believe in? The widow of Zarephath's son. You find that in 1 Kings 17 the Shunammite son, in 2 Kings chapter 4. A man tossed into Elijah's tomb, a dead man tossed into Elijah's tomb, comes in contact with Elijah's bones. 2 Kings chapter 13, very reminiscent of Jesus ministering and someone reaching out to touch his cloak to be healed. The the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7, Jorias' daughter in Mark 5, Lazarus in John 11. All of those raised by Jesus. By the way, Jesus ruins funerals. Okay? That's what Jesus does. Jesus ruins funerals. If you want to have a good funeral, don't invite Jesus. Because he's going to ruin that funeral. The guest of honor is going to be sitting up. going to be talking. It's time to go home. We're going to miss out on the casserole. Jesus ruins funerals. That's what he's in in the business of doing. Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, raised by Peter. Eutychus in Acts chapter 10. Those resurrected at Jesus' crucifixion around Jerusalem. We forget about that sometimes. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 27. Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so on and so on. Even the resurrection of those who do not believe in Jesus. Yes! Yes! Read through the 20th chapter of the Revelation of Christ. Those who do not believe in Jesus being raised. Being raised for what? Judgment. Judgment. There's a lot of resurrections I believe in. But the first resurrection I want to talk about today is why we're here, the resurrection of Jesus And this is where Jesus makes one of the craziest claims in all of Scripture. This is in John chapter 2. After he shows up at the temple, he does this a couple of times in his ministry. But he shows up at the temple in Jerusalem, and he notices there's people cheating other people. Oh, there's there's people buying and selling, but that's not really Jesus' issue here. You know, that's kind of the system, kind of the form. I don't have... Uh, the sacrifice that I need to make in the Old Testament. So here's what I'll do. I'll go to the temple, and they will have the sacrifices. I can carry money with me, give it to them. They can give me this lamb, this pigeon, this whatever it is. Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. He's got a problem with the people who are cheating others out of this sacrifice, and they're doing it right there in the temple. So he shows up at the temple, and he drives them out. Right? He turns over the tables. I mean, this is this is this is his introduction right here. And he moves them out of there. John 2, 18 through 20. The Jews responded to him, What sign can you show? They're, they're angry. What sign can you show us to prove you have the authority to do all this? In other words, who do you think you are? I want to see some identification. You just come in here and you mess up our whole system. Verse 19 Jesus answered them destroy this temple think about this, he's standing in the temple. This is, this is the temple that, uh, that Herod built. Okay, there's three temples. Solomon built a temple, and then it's rebuilt during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and then this is the, the biggest temple that they rebuilt again during the time of Herod. So he's standing in this huge building, and he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Even the people standing there thought this was crazy. They replied, look, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. Raise with an S, not raise with a Z. Raise with an S. Raise it. That's a pretty crazy claim. They looked at this huge building around them and they said, that's impossible. But read on, John 2, 21-22, but the temple he'd spoken of was his body, the temple of God. The real temple. The tabernacle pointing to the real temple. The temple of Solomon pointing to the real temple. The temple after the Babylonian exile pointing to the real temple. The temple in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus pointing to the real temple where God and man come together. He's talking about his body. He's talking about you. Your heart, your mind, your soul. Where God and man come together. Where they interact, where they commune with one another. He was talking about his body, verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said. Then they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And this is one of the greatest, this is one of the things I love about Christian men and women. I've heard this throughout my life talking about this passage. I love it. I, I really do love it. People will read this passage and, 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 and they'll be explaining it to someone, you know? They'll hear about this Jesus claiming to rebuild this physical building in three days. And very quickly, the follower of Jesus will say, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that crazy claim. He's not talking about actually rebuilding the physical temple. Don't worry about that. I know that that would be crazy and impossible. He's talking about rising from the dead. And that's the, that's the solution that they have. And I love that. I do love that. Because there comes a point in the Christian walk when it is so matter of fact that Jesus rose from the dead that we use that as an answer to an impossible conundrum. You don't got to go any further than that. He's talking about rising from the dead. And, of course, it's even better when the person they're talking to says, oh, okay, all right. It's not impossible for him to rebuild the physical temple in three days. Highly improbable. But you get enough money and a big enough labor force. It's not impossible. It's impossible for him to rise from the dead. There is no amount of evidence that you've ever come across in your physical life, in your world, that says that this is possible. Most of you know the rest of the story. Jesus was crucified. He was killed physically. His body was killed. And it was a confirmed death. They ran a spear or a sword through his heart. I don't know how much you know about anatomy, but that's the end of things at that point. He was dead. Dead from the neck up and dead from the neck down. They didn't just crucify him. They made sure he was dead, but Jesus didn't accept it. Jesus didn't accept death. Jesus didn't accept that death was stronger than God. He was buried in the tomb, and three days later, Jesus walked out. Destroy this temple, and I told you, I will rebuild it in three days. Why three days? Why three days? I don't know how long the cat was dead. Could have been dead a day. That was enough. Why three? Could have been one, could have been two, could have been four. Why three? Three days of death. That carried great significance in Jewish tradition, Jewish history. You see, there were three days required to confirm. Death. They don't have what we have. They're not able to see what we see in today's age and technology. And so it required, through their tradition, three days of confirmation of death. Talmud states we go out to the cemetery and examine the dead to see if they're still alive and been buried by mistake for a period of three days. And they give an example, two examples, as to why they do that, because on multiple occasions, People have inadvertently been, you know, called dead or deemed dead and not really been dead. In fact, he gives a couple of examples of one that lives 25 years after, another one that grows up and has five kids after they shake him and wake him up. It requires three days to absolutely confirm that death is here. This means that according to Jewish custom, a person was not considered dead until three days. You see, Jesus knew his stuff. He he was a scholar. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He chose three days because even in death, he was making a point. He was sending a message. You assure death after three days. I assure life after three days. I guarantee life after three days. Now look, there was an attempt to suppress the truth. Spread a false story. You could read about that on your own in Matthew chapter 28. But there are witnesses, multiple witnesses of the resurrected life. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. This will be on your screen. For what I received, this is Paul writing. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a weird line to put in there. Why do we care? Why would anybody care? Why would he put that line in there, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep? What is Paul trying to tell the Corinthians? Don't take my word for it. Go ask them. Go ask them. Go talk to them. Write him a letter. I'll be the courier. I don't care. These people that saw the resurrection Christ are still here. Go talk to them. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, that is Paul, as to one abnormally born. That's a a message for another time. But we did start out this lesson with this being the first resurrection that Christians believe in. Resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit through the physical body, Jesus Christ. Can we refer to this as the first resurrection rather than the resurrection? Well, sure we can. God refers to this as the first resurrection rather than just the resurrection. He does this through His servant Paul. All of these wonderful things that Jesus is and Jesus does. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what Jesus does, read Colossians chapter 1. Answers your questions. There you go. This is a picture of Christ. But Paul talks about this in Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body of the church. Listen closely now. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Number one, firstborn. That means he's in charge. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Number two, firstborn. That means there's more to come. There are others that are going to come being raised To life. Romans eight, twenty nine through thirty, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is one passage that people make far harder than it has to be, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I've heard John one time saying that he considers Jesus, he sees this relationship, very often considers Jesus as a brother. That's where you get this stuff. That he was the firstborn among other brothers and sisters that are going to be raised. This isn't the only resurrection. There's more resurrections. And you call yourself, count yourself in the family of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead that he may have many brothers and sisters. This leads to the second resurrection we talk about today. And you talk about a pretty crazy claim. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's writing this. And if you've ever heard, um, uh, if I've ever been a part of a funeral uh, of someone who believes in Jesus, I often read this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Brothers and sisters, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, that is at the return of Christ, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed. The people that have died, they're going to, we're going to be second in line. The people who have died already, they're going to come with Jesus Christ. We will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive on our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is another pretty crazy claim. Brothers and sisters, do not be uninformed. Do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Misery loves company. The hopelessness. Is what surrounds so much of the world today. And hopelessness loves company as well. Simple fact is, though, I am not nor can I be their company. And I hope you can't either. Because I know and I want my wife to know and I want my son to know that when this spacesuit wears out, that is not the end of my life. If that was the end of my life, I'd stop now. If that was the end of my life, if you and I blinked into nothingness, what is the point? This isn't the end of my life. Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in... See, if Paul was living today, he might have said spacesuit, right? He chooses tent. He's a tent maker. He knows his tents. We know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. By the way, take your mind off of all those physical mansions that Jesus is building for us. He's got a house for you and me. Don't reduce it down to some sort of physical mansion that you get in heaven. Paul's talking about the house, the real house we get. This new life, this new body. We got a house built for us, a heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, Meanwhile, we groan in verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but instead clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up, may be replaced by what is living, what is life, and eternal life. Now the one who has fashioned you for this very purpose is God. We're built for this. We are built for this. To be resurrected. To live eternally. In some new, some wonderful, some incredible house. And if you can't wrap your mind around that, you're not alone. Paul even addresses that in one of his letters. He says, how can you know the tree by just looking at the seed? We're looking at the seed. What's the tree going to look like? We have no idea, but it's going to be wonderful. And God has given us his very spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Which is, I don't care if the world thinks that is crazy. I will not let the world drag me and my family back down into some pit of despair, hopelessness, and fear. I will not despise my loved ones so much that I would force them to grieve like the rest of mankind. When Jesus calls this spirit home, When he sets foot in my true kingdom, I get to experience fully what I was created to be. When my faith becomes sight, church, it is not a tragedy. It's not a calamity. It's not a bad day. It's a good day. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? If you show up to my funeral and you want to be sad, I got to warn you, Jesus is going to ruin my funeral. He's going to wreck the whole thing. And I hope the same thing is true for yours. I'm not going to celebrate when you die. I, you know, come on. There's a limit. There's a line. But I certainly hope you celebrate. I certainly hope you understand that the end of this life is not the end of you. But I did say three resurrections. Jesus rose from the dead, and so we believe that we too will rise and live eternally. But... Is there something beyond that? Is there something more? Is the kingdom only in the future? Or is the completion of God's kingdom here and now? Will we rise from the dead someday or have we? And we just don't yet experience the whole beautiful picture. And that's the third resurrection. And I like staying in 2 Corinthians 5 because Paul uses some of the very same terminology that we've been using throughout this whole series. 2 Corinthians 5, 13-19, he writes this. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Sound familiar? This, I didn't, this is my, Paul started this sermon series a long time ago. If we're out of our mind, if we're crazy, as some say we are, It's for God. But if we're in our right mind, in other words, if we take this very seriously, this craziness, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That one died for all and therefore all died. It's not future tense, just as John was saying. Paul takes it a step further and he says it's Past tense all died because Jesus died for all and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard nobody from a worldly point of view although even Jesus we regarded that way at one time therefore listen closely now to verse 17 if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation not an old creation. You were born an old creation. Then you accept Jesus Christ. Suddenly it is the new creation. You think resurrection is only to come? Resurrection to come is just the completion of what you get to start right now, of what we start right now. A new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has gone. The new is here. When we accept this renewing strength, this sanctifying power of Jesus Christ in our life. All of this is from God. And what did God do? Who reconciled us to himself, brought us back home through Jesus Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19, that God was reconciling, bringing back the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. That's what Jesus does. And that's what brings us back into the family, the fold of Jesus. See, you might think through some of this craziness that you believe in Jesus but you never really believed Him. That you believed in Jesus but but over the years you've messed up and you've messed up again and you've screwed up. You see... God gives us a new creation. We become a new creation when we accept Jesus. And on day two, we begin to tarnish that, don't we? On day two, it seems like already we're mixed up and we've dirtied up and we've screwed up this brand new creation that we are in Jesus. I want you to remember something. This could be day number one for you. You could have accepted Jesus Christ, the truth of who Jesus is, a year ago, a day ago, a week ago, 20 years ago, and today can be day number one. Scripture tells us that we are being renewed every day. Every day. Every day. Don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Look it up yourself. We are being re So yesterday might have been a hard day. Yesterday you might have taken this new creation in this wonderful new kingdom and somehow and in some way messed it up again. Today's a new day. And you're a new creation today. Every It's only 10.31. We're still new. And you're a new creation today. That's what Jesus does for you. That's what Jesus does for me. That's the craziness that people refuse to accept. That I can be made new and be made right again every single day. All going to eternal life. Eternal life with him. Look, next week, it actually gets hard. Next week, we tell Jesus, I believe in you. Next week, we tell Jesus, I want to be holy. Next week, we tell Jesus, I want to consume what you are and who you are. Next week, we tell Jesus, I love you more than anybody else. Next week, we tell Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, and that I'm going to rise, and I have risen into this new life. And what Jesus says next week? Okay, show me. Show me next week is going to be one of the hardest crazy things there is to possibly believe in i hope you're here for it. it's a challenge let's pray father we thank you for the love of jesus we thank you that he is alive and because he is alive we are alive we thank you that we can accept this incredible gift and live eternally with jesus and as your son john said i don't even know what this eternity looks like but we know that it's good we know that it's right We know that it's lovely. Father, we we know that we start it right now, that your kingdom is here, that your kingdom is now, and we get to live inside of that kingdom. Father, convict us to live as your proper children inside of this kingdom today and renew us again tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and say. Once again, this is an incredible gift.